Well, when you are sufficiently greeted, you may take your seats. I know you want a, a report from last weekend. We just have an initial preliminary, just, you know, kind of 30,000 foot level. Um, it was a great start. It was, your commitment is remarkable. Um, there are three things that kind of stick out in my mind. First of all, for those of you who are um, in our correctional facilities, I was overwhelmed with how many of you uh, gave commitment cards of what you were going to do with the rest of the congregation uh, for the coming years. This, the involvement of your life is so inspirational uh, to me. Secondly, hundreds of students um, um, gave a commitment card. And, and, and you know, it, it always kind of tickles me when people say, well, how do you keep your young people involved? Here, the young people are some of the strongest spiritual leadership we have in the entire church. And so it's just one, it's just downright inspirational. And then there were hundreds and hundreds of you um, that prayed, that got an answer from God, and that, and that um, let us know what that answer uh, was. Uh, overall, I think they said it's, uh, um, although it's not primarily a financial thing, but they said it's like a 30, 38% increase um, in commitment of giving. It, it's just, it's wonderful. So let me just tell you, this is a long-term thing here. This is not just a one and done. Um, those of you who have not yet participated, uh, let me ask you to pray. That's the whole thing. Ask, ask God to help you know what your next step is as far as commitment to the church. And we will be receiving these cards, uh, probably not in baskets from now on, but in the offering boxes. Um, but we have four main parts of our gathering points the site here at Longwood, one in Oviedo, one in Lake County, and then the online community. You know, I know that sometimes you might feel the most disconnected or, or disengaged, which is ironic because the reason we built this building like we did was for you. And so we want you to know you're very much a part uh, of the congregation. You're at the center of how the congregation will expand. Um, and so we'd love to hear about what the Lord's saying to you about your commitment to the body. Okay? Okay. More on this later on. Let me tell you about the sermon. Sermon changed on Friday. Um, I, I, you know, it was to be a pure celebration. But when something this impactful happens, um, you, you, you've got to not change the, the, the direction crazies can't determine our direction, all right? You don't, you don't lay out your agenda for someone else, especially somebody who's crazy, to, to, to determine. But we would be insensitive to not go toward a deeper and more sober sense of joy and celebration. And so that's exactly what we're going to do. I, I, I want to say this is important to all of us because the onslaught that happened in France is not foreign to our personal lives. We are all attacked. We are all traumatized um, unexpectedly. Um, and, and so what, what is important is for us all not only to stand with France but to stand with the Lord uh, as we see this in the world around us. First of all, I, I want you to understand how important the tipping point is to what's happening in the world right now. 
What we're seeing in the world right now is the balance of power going from nations to networks. Let me say that again. The balance of power is going from nations to networks, from huge corporations to indigenous populations and relationships. And so what you are seeing is the rise of the power of networks. Now, let me remind you what the distributed church is. The distributed church is the changing of the, of, of the, of the power of the megachurch into a network of relationships. And the only way that the future of the world is going to be impacted is through relational networks. The only significant way that it's going to be impacted for the long term. So we're in exactly the right spot. When we commit ourselves, we're committing ourselves to the most significant and effective strategy to impact the world for the future. The world for the kingdom of God for the future. I want you to know what, what happens, of course, is not just what you hear on the news, what you see on the news. When we see this stuff on the news, it grabs our flesh, doesn't it? We just want to level everybody who, you know, ever put up that black flag. But I want to remind you what the Bible says about who our enemy really is. Because our enemy is not flesh and blood. This is what it says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the power of the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. That is to say, we are battling a spirit. We are battling a mentality. And it's a mentality that can affect any religion. Any religion is, 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 is uh, vulnerable to being hijacked by people who want to use it for diabolical purposes. And, and, and uh, you know, the last Monday night I, I talked with a young guy out um, in the foyer and and he was at that celebration and, he, and the celebration scared him a little bit. It scared him because he was attracted to what was going on. He wanted to be a part of what was going on. But he had some skepticism about what he called organized religion. He said, I, I'm a real skeptic when it comes to organized religion. Well, you know what? I love that. I love skeptics because skeptics keep us honest. Skeptics check it out. Skeptics keep saying, is this real or is this just emotion? Is this real or is this just a herd mentality? I love that. I told him, just stick around. You don't have to believe anything you don't believe, but just stick around to see what's real, to see what's true. But as I said that to him, I understand that religion, our faith, which is the ultimate healing power, can be perverted by those people who would want power for themselves. Now, granted, in order for Christianity to go violent, you've got to contradict everything our Savior ever did or said. It is not within the nature of our faith. You have to go way outside the bounds of our faith. But the point is this, that forms of religion, forms of faith, need to be constantly checked to see if they're healthy, if they're really beneficial or destructive. 
if they are servant or power grabbing. And so what we do here, when we see an event like this, is we check, where is your focus? Is your focus on your group and the power your group can have, or is your focus on Jesus Christ? That's what we have to ask ourselves. It, it, it says um, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, this is Paul writing. He said, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. You know, that's our only business. Our only business, our, our business isn't to solve the world's problems. Our business is to follow Jesus Christ. Our business is to understand what he has to do in our lives. I know that many, much of the church now would like to become this counterbalancing force. Don't go there. You know what God, God has provided a force, a, a, a force for goodness, an armed force for goodness. It's called our military and police. And, and, and those are, the, the, the Bible says in Romans chapter 13, those are ministers of God. It says, for it, meaning the force of the state, it is a minister of God for you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings the wrath on the one who practices evil. So pray for the military, pray for the police, pray that they may have good leadership, Pray that they may, may have force that prevents evil without inaugurating more evil, all right? Pray for them. You're not them. I'm not them. We are the unarmed forces. They stand against destruction. We stand for construction. We build up. It's what we do. But we have to realize that we don't do this in a world that is not besmirched with evil, with, with diabolical characters. We don't do this naively. We don't sing our happy song and pretend everything's all right. We don't cry peace, peace when there is no peace. Brian Waldrop was watching a TV program one time of this guy painting. This, did, you, did you ever tune into some artist painting? Remember the guy with big hair? You know, Bob, what, Bob, what was his name? Bob Ross. Bob Ross? Okay, yeah. The guy with the big hair. Remember he used to do those things? Fascinating to watch those things. I watched him a couple of times, you know. And, and, and he, said, he said, he had this portrait. He's watching, he's watching, not the portrait, but this landscape. He said he watched this guy and he just unfolded and it was beautiful. It was perfect. And he heard himself say, don't do anything else. It's perfect just like it is. Just about that time, the artist picks up this dark blob and just slaps it on the side of the canvas. And to, and to the viewer, it just kind of ruined it. It ruined the whole thing. Why would you do that? And then he watched the artist take that and weave it into the painting, the landscape, in order to give it a depth that it had not had. 
in order to give it a detail that it had not had, in order to make it twice the landscape it was before that happened. Can I just say to you, that's exactly what God does with our lives. You know, when things are going good, we say, good enough, God, just like this is okay, okay? Just, okay, let's just keep it like this. And then, blop, you know? And you're thinking, why did that happen? What are you doing? But the artist knows what he's doing because he doesn't want us to have shallow joy. He doesn't want us to have circumstantial joy. He doesn't want us to have strength that only comes in our estimation that life is good. Do you, you understand? All of us understand, don't we? That we never learn to trust God in good times. Do you understand that? You never learn to trust God without tragedy. You never learn to trust God until you have to trust God. And then you realize how trustworthy he is. This week, Becky and her siblings, Becky's got two brothers, and, and, and every couple of years we just go someplace and we learn about the history of the, of the place that we go. And, and uh, a couple of years ago we were go Gettysburg and, and all of the battles of the Civil War. And we just love to learn and we hire guides and they teach us and, and we just love to learn. This year we went to um, New Orleans. I've never been to New Orleans. And, uh, and, and, and just had to go for the beignets. That's a powdered sugar. No, um, it's, but, but, but it was a fascinating trip. We went to plantations and we, under, we, we, we began to be taught about the, about the founding of the French um, form of slavery. Slavery is a horrible thing. But at least King Charles said, These, this isn't property. These are people. Uh, and so there's a different, there was a different um, um, form of that horrible diabolical, diabolical institution there. Um, and, and then we went, of course, we went out to eat recommended restaurants. And I love gospel jazz. I mean, it's my favorite kind of music. Dixieland, you know. It was uh, um, um, Skip uh, Yenow that said, Dixieland is the happiest of all musics. The happiest of all music. So here we are in this great restaurant, and 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 you know the Dixieland band. They, they have the they have the drummer, and they have the the uh, trombone, and they have the trumpet, and they have the um, the woodwind, the clarinet, and the saxophone, and the piano player, and it's just they just and each one takes a turn, you know, and they're all doing the solos and they're getting down, and it's awesome. It's awesome. And then I realized about every third song was a hymn, you know? Just a closer walk, you know? Um, um, old rugged cross, this guy stands up, sounds a lot like Louis Armstrong. And he just stands up and just sings old rugged cross. And I'll meet you in the by and by and, and so on and so forth. And, and I realized something, the happiest of all forms of music was born out of oppression. It was born out of slavery. It was born out of trouble. And it connected earth with heaven 
not just as a matter of survival, but as a matter of faith, as a matter of buoyancy, as a matter of that's how we live. And I realized the depth and the utter joy that comes when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death and we fear no evil. You see, that's the point, isn't it? You have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death before you're ever confident about fearing no evil. That's the point, that utter joy comes when heaven and earth combine, not when we just are this surface religiosity. You know, when we mount up our religious prayers, Jesus took a look at some of the folks doing that one day, and he said, you know, some people feel like they're religious because they keep heaping up religious words. And then he said this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 8. So do not be like them. In verse 9, pray in this way. In verse 10, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You understand the connection? Our joy, our solid resilience comes from walking out heaven that has been put into our lives for the sake of the whole world. C.S. Lewis used to say, you know, we have three selves. We have our true self, we have our animal self, and we have our diabolical self. Now, th now think about this just for a moment. Let me go to animal self just for a second. He said, you know, we're so fixated on sex. Even back then he was saying, we're so fixated on sex. He said, you know, sex is a, is a powerful temptation, but it's not the big deal. You know, animal sin is the least of our worries. It's bad, it's distracting, you shouldn't, but it's the least of our, the, the, the worry we really have, the most powerful temptation is our diabolical self that involves hate. The pleasure in hating. Think about that just for a minute. How much pleasure do we get in hating? How much pleasure do we get in self-righteousness? How much pleasure do we get in power over other people or the dreams of taking power over other people? See, that comes from the devil. That comes from the devil. But he said, both of those, both of those, can be defeated by our true self. Do you understand who your true self is in Christ? I'm going to be, I'm going to be telling you this for as long as I live or, or as long as you'll listen. Let me, let me give you an example of who you are in Christ and where your confidence should come from. There is a great benediction, a historic benediction that was almost a hymn that was put into scripture in Ephesians chapter 3. Verses 20 and 21, and this is what it says. Now to him 
who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we could ask or think according to the power that works. Wait just a second. I want you to read these words with me. According to the power that works within us. Where's the power of God residing? In us. Not just us individually, us together. In us. To him be the glory. Here's some words. Read these words with me. In the church. To him be the glory in the church. Where's the power of God? It's among us. You understand what we have to give to the world. Not just our own services, not just our own humble forms of love, but the power of God. He's put it among us. And in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. That's our true self. Our joy comes from the fact that heaven has connected with earth in us. That we have this mission that can change the world. And that mission, could I tell you, remains the same whether we are addressing the hurting or the hurtful. It's the exact same mission for the hurting or the hurtful. In Romans 12, 21, it says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You go up a little bit, it says, don't try to take your own vengeance. You know, every time I read one of these attacks on these innocent people, everything in my animal self springs forth and wants vengeance. But the Bible says, don't, don't try to take vengeance on anybody. Don't you know that God knows how to do vengeance better than you do? Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. You leave it to God. He knows how to do this. That's not what we're made for. Don't return evil for evil, it says. People who say you got to fight fire with fire, just, just get a bigger fire. No. Overcome evil with good. And so why are we still here? We're still here so that the grandchildren of the terrorist can see a better way than their grandparents had. So that, so that, so that they don't get what is expected. What they expect is this is this return of evil for evil, this return of force. Like I said, in God's book, that's delegated to the military, and I'm praying for them. That's delegated to the police, I'm praying for them. What's my job? My job is to give them a better offering that will enlarge their heart. You know, Christmas is coming, and uh, I'm gonna watch again The Grinch Who Stole Christmas. I, I, I just love it. You know, those little cute little Whoville people. Little Whoville people. I love them. Some of you have seen that. And you know, you, you know the scene where the Grinch fakes it like he's Santa Claus. 
and goes down and takes all the presents, even the trees. And he's on his way back up the mountain. And the little who, who people, little who children get up. And all their presents are gone. And he's expecting to hear this horrible wail of grief and devastation. But instead, he hears this joyful song. And in the movie, his little hard pea heart starts to enlarge and become a heart of flesh. You know, it says in the Bible, I'll remove your heart of stone. I'll give you a heart of flesh. You know that, right? We're the who people. We're the, we're the children of Whoville. Whoville, Heville. We're the, we're the people who will not return grief for loss. We're the people who will continue in joy because God is our joy, not what we have, not what we expect, not what we could get, but Christ is our joy. And so we've got stuff to give. That's what this is about. We've got stuff to give. Last week, I told you about Elisha and his servant, remember? They were surrounded by the enemy. <laughs> and uh, and, and uh, Elisha prays that God will open the eyes of the servant and the servant sees the heavenly host surrounding the enemy. And I'll let you know, no matter who our enemy is, the heavenly host has always surrounded them. The one who surrounds us is surrounded by God. So there's nothing to fear. I want to, give, I want to take you a little further into that story. Can I do that? Because what next, comes next is very important for why we're here to celebrate and what we have to do yet while we live. The next part of this is God blinds the entire army that was going to capture Elisha and his servant and the forces of Israel. And they lead this blinded army of the enemy into the presence of the king. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 21 and 22 and 23. It says, then the king of Israel when he saw them, said to Elisha. Now, Elisha is the prophet. He's the spiritual leader, right? Says to Elisha, my father, shall I kill them? You're the kind of the religious leader. I'm the, I'm, the, I'm the government guy. You're the religious leader. I'm going to ask you what's right. Shall I kill them? And he, Elisha, answered, you shall not kill them. Would you kill those that you have taken captive with your sword and your bow? Set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. And the marauding bands of the Arameans did not come again into the land of Israel. What just happened? The enemy saw a better way. He saw a better life. And the enemy didn't think of Israel as their enemy anymore. Why are we still here? To live a life that's better, that people want, instead of the life of destruction they have, even the life when they destroy themselves. 
We're here to live a life that's better. We're here to love. Jesus said it in the great commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. That's simple. That's simple. And so that's why we keep gathering from all over the world because we believe that God is going to build us into a network that changes the world, literally changes the world because we're going to serve the Lord together. We're not going to serve the gods of this culture. We're not going to serve revenge. We're not going to serve greed. We're not going to serve power. We're not going to serve self-gratification. Oh, we could serve those. Remember when I told you about Joshua 24, the challenge to make a decision? Joshua 24, 15. If it's disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourself today whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. In other words, the cultural gods, many of whom I've just named. But as for me... And my house, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's where our commitment is. Let me tell you what happens when we commit that together, and then I'll, then I'll just pray and we're out of here. All of the barriers you thought were barriers come down because we're in this together. We face a very real enemy. He's an enemy that is destroying our life. He's destroying our relationships. He's destroying our country. He's destroying our own self-care. He's destroying us. It's a very real enemy. But we believe the time is now here that we commit our lives together to fight that enemy. This week, all of us went to visit the World War II Museum in New Orleans. It's a remarkable place. We spent the entire day, the day after Veterans Day, appropriately, and we watched movies and we saw displays and and we, and we saw the, the scenes of World War II. And I noticed something very important for the church. During World War II, there was such a need, such an overwhelming enemy, that the barriers came down. The traditional roles really didn't matter anymore. I mean, most of the guys were overseas fighting and dying for our freedom. Not for our freedom, for the freedom of those they loved, for the freedom of the country that they had loyalty to, that they belonged to. While they were over there, we needed just as much of an effort of the people remaining in this country. And so the traditional roles fell by the wayside. The factories, the women were doing the jobs traditionally done by men. Watch this. As much racial 
discrimination as there was at that time, it dropped. Do you know why? Because we were all in this together. And black and white just didn't matter that much when we were facing an enemy of ours together. And do you understand who was prioritized in that effort? I looked at this display that talked about gas rationing. Remember in World War II, they had gas rationing. If you weren't essential personnel, you got $3 worth of gas a week. It's what you had. It's what you did for your country. And if you hadn't put all your money into war bonds, then you could actually afford some gas. But there was a list of essential personnel. And there were three categories of people in that list. The first one, defense forces. If you were in the service of the defense of this country, you weren't included in that, in that limitation. The second one, doctors and medical personnel. If you were needed to fix people up, you had the resources you needed. Would you like to guess the third one? Clergy, the spiritual leadership. The spiritual leadership of this country was counted as so essential because nothing was as important as people's resilience spiritually, inspirationally, to keep going, to keep their values in the right place, to understand that we have this transcendent goal that all of us have together. Well, we're in a war now. And it's with a very real enemy who wants to destroy us in our way of life. But it's not just the clergy that's important. As we go from nations to networks, as we go from organized religion to personal Christian relationships, you are all, you are all the spiritual leadership of this country. And God will give you what you need to do your job to fight this very real enemy. Would you please stand and let me pray for us. <clears throat> God, we do have deep joy because we know we can trust you. And we know that best when we're going through times that are destabilizing and agonizing, that are hurtful, that make us insecure. Lord, remind us that you're our shepherd, that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we have no evil to fear. Because you who are with us are more than anyone who is against us, including Satan. So lift us up, strong Son of God, that we can be the voice of faith, that we can live the life of compassion, and that we can build up and not tear down. Give us the kind of life that other people want to live, and let us live it in ways that attract them, not to us, but to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Before you leave today, let me remind you about the Christmas tree thing in the foyer. Um, this is not just buying presents for kids. This is connecting with families that need encouragement. Um, and so just let me um, urge you to do that. Um, secondly, uh, at this Longwood location, we have a prayer team up, up here. If I touched on anything in your life that you need prayer for, come on down. We pray for everything, including healing. Um, and, and the Lord still does that, you know. But let's go from this place. And in the name of God the Father, and of God the Son, and of God the Holy Spirit. Let's live like Jesus. And watch him display his glory through you.